Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on October the 11th, 2022. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, uh, back from an adventure. Caffeine Rage. On today's episode, we will, of course, be discussing some games that we have played, among a couple other things. Uh, Google kills Stadia, unsurprisingly, <laughs> honestly. Uh, Ubisoft thinks you should pay 120 bucks for Far Cry 6 Game of the Year edition, even though it didn't win a Game of the Year award. Overwatch 2 is a dumpster fire, and FIFA 23 slammed by PC players as EA's own anti-cheat makes it unplayable for many. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you? Uh, a little tired, but yeah, working on getting rest again because busy weekend, which I'll get to eventually. Right, right. I feel you. I feel, I feel that uh, don't, tiredness. Don't you wish? I, I do wish I was feeling you up. Wink. Bad touch. Don't make me get the taser. Good touch. Uh, you, you can't threaten me with a good time. A shockingly good time. You, you can, you can shower me with applause now. No. <laughs> you know what? Fair. I can't make you. I'm not your dad. Yeah, you actually talk to me. Aw, but also I love you. Hate me. Hate me. <laughs> Never. Never. Uh, we we didn't we didn't. I don't know what to I don't know what to say next. Like, should I say like, tell tell us about your adventure, or should we talk about the games that we played, I or gonna, should I go first? Well, I, I had a game uh, I played first because it ties into the adventure as well. Do it. So, go for it. Uh, this is one that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but between just people being sick, internet issues, and what have you, I didn't get to talk about it when they had its preview event, and then I just kind of held off for a bit because, you know, we had Game Club last, well, not last week, but week before last, which last week you were dying on us again. I was infirmed again. So, I've been playing Splatoon for a few weeks now, and uh-huh. this is probably going to be the, one of the more in-depth, uh, you know, like, first looks that we've done at, at a game, because, oh boy, this, this game, right? Right. So, Splatoon, for those who are unaware, you start off as a kid, then you become a squid, then you can become a kid again. You're a squid now, you're a kid now. Okay, so Splatoon is a third-person, well, shooter, obviously, but it's not like typical shooters. You're a squid or uh, octopus kid that shoots ink uh, and covers the play surface, and depending on the game mode, uh, it's either whoever covers the most area or covers the objective... uh, uh, the most wins. And it's a very, very odd game going into it without, you know, having some history with it. And this is actually the first time I played Splatoon, was the uh, preview event. So, I-, I did not do very well in the preview event. But, yeah. Obviously, I liked it enough to want to pick it up, so I did. Uh, 
and it's the most fun I've had with a console shooter for a few reasons. One is that, you know, most of the game modes, you don't have to be terribly precise. Because it's all about, you know, coverage of the play area and killing or splatting, as they call it, the uh, enemy. It's kind of a secondary thing. It does have an advantage, yes. But the main focus is covering, you know, an area, covering the play field. There's a couple air, or there's a couple play buds that it's not about coverage, and it's a secondary thing. But those are still very forgiving for having less than uh, absolute aim. And the game also doesn't have auto aim, so it doesn't feel like the game is playing itself, which has always been another massive beef I've had with uh, console gaming. Is that you know, you you know, you look in the general direction of somebody, and your weapon just snaps to them. And I just always found it very unfun. So for this, yeah, it has projectile-based, mostly, uh, weapons that shoot ink that have pretty large hitboxes, but not, yeah, massively so. But things also move quickly enough that, you know, it does require some skill, and you can use motion controls that really help out with more fine aiming, which has taken some uh, getting used to. But I've you know gotten at least better at it. To be fair, couldn't have gotten much worse than that uh, initial uh, preview event. But let's not talk about the bad times, right? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so, uh, well, I mentioned the weapons. There are now eleven different classes of weapons. Each one with uh, has kind of a allegory to a general feel. But there's usually at least two different types, if not, you know, more to, uh, weapons in that subclass. And how Splatoon uh, kind of balances everything. And the game does feel actually really well balanced, for the most part. You do end up with some weird matchmaking issues, which I'll get to later on when I talk about my issues with the game. Because I, of course, have issues. So you have, like, blasters, which are, like, grenade launchers, uh... Uh, umbrellas, or brellas as they call them, which are essentially shotguns that have a shield built into them, and then most of those could actually launch the shield to kind of force enemies back. There's brushes that are very fast movement and uh, essentially melee-based. Chargers, which are essentially sniper rifles, but they're not like sniper rifles in most games where you could be halfway across the map and shoot someone. You still have to be somewhat close. Uh, dualies, which are dual, uh, you know, uh, wielding pistols, which are dodge roll. Rollers, which are essentially steamrollers, but they have usually some sort of uh, ranged attack through a charged attack. Or some sort of, you know, quick flick. But they're usually slower on the uh, ranged attack. Shooters, which are, you know, basic guns. Sloshers, which are AoE, short range Essentially what most games play as a shotgun, you know? Yeah. Splatanas, which are new in this game, which are melee with ranged uh, uh, capabilities through a charged attack. Sort of like the rollers, but uh, the main thing is that they have uh, longer range than the rollers on their charged attack. And they're more quick about a quick kill if you could get up on someone. 
Splatlings, which are miniguns, and then Singers, which are the other new uh, weapon class in this game so far, I should say. Which are bows that all of them have multi-shot to some degree. And depending on how long you charge the shot, it depends on how far the... Uh, uh, it starts as a really wide cone and then it closes into a very you know, tight, you know, uh, like triple hit. And all the weapons feel pretty well balanced against one another. There are, you know, obviously the rock, paper, scissors, you know, like someone coming up on a, a sniper or, sorry, a charger uh, with a melee weapon uh, is going to have a massive advantage. But all the weapons have different kits that kind of round them out. So, like the uh, a dually that is shorter ranged might have a long-range grenade on it to kind of, uh, you know, offset the issues I would have otherwise. Or a uh, uh, a roller might have some sort of support item uh, to help uh, the rest of its team, that sort of thing. And all the weapon kits are static. You buy the, essentially the primary weapon, and everything else comes with it. And then you have specials, which are also built into all the weapon kits which ties into, yeah, their role, essentially. Like, something that is meant for a lot of coverage might have something that uh, offsets that, or a lot of ink coverage, where it'll paint the area uh, around it pretty quickly. It might have a more offensive special, while something that is very offensive might have something defensive, like uh, the dualies I like to use. Uh, their special is the new crab tank, which, once you charge it, which is charged by killing enemies and covering uh, uh, inking surface, at least in the turf war mode. Uh, you jump in this uh, giant crab tank that is very powerful and very defensive, uh, at least from the front. But if you're able to flank it, which it's very hard to turn, uh, then you could essentially uh, pick off somebody in it. Or they could just roll up into a ball and roll away. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm a bit really impressed with just the balancing uh, of all the weapons. There are some meta weapons, but they're, none of them feel like they're completely useless. They all have their own little niche. And the problem with, the game, uh, uh, with uh, a game like this is that there's no voice chat, but the blessing of is that there's no voice chat. So the more niche weapons are feels more like they're relegated to you know either co-op play or team play you know going on with pre-made teams you know like there's a charger called the Goo Tuber which it's <laughs> which its big thing is that it's uh, shorter range but all, all the chargers they have to charge up you know it's just not a you know, uh, you know quick snipe. And the GooTuber's big thing is that it could charge up and then retain the charge while you're in squid form and swimming around. Which I'm not sure if I actually uh, covered that, is that uh, as the two teams fight and spray ink all over the place, you could go into squid mode and swim through your own team's ink, and that's how you reload your ammo, and you move a lot faster in squid form than you do in kid form. And you could also use it to uh, flank and to uh, uh, kind of hot out if you're, you know, 
uh, moving slow enough. There are abilities in the game that make it easier for you to sneak around, uh, uh, which is tied to the gear system, which I have not really gotten into that much. Basically, all the uh, gear has different brands on them that whenever you level up the gear by playing uh, while having them equipped, it'll randomize a, a gear uh, ability. And certain uh, brands have abilities that they like and certain ones that they don't. And eventually, as you, you know, level up and, you know, get rid of abilities that you don't like by just taking them to this NPC and paying in-game money for, you could scrub the abilities to get chunks of abilities back and basically re-roll the abilities eventually by just playing them again. And you could trade those chunks in to customize your gear as you like. But that's a very, you know, in-game, long-term thing. So, right? Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, there's quite a bit of picking and choosing of, you know, what weapons, what classes, uh, essentially, uh, you want to play. Going into different modes, it also depends on what you want to do. And uh, the thing is that all the game modes have... Uh, well, uh, two ma- maps as they rotate throughout the day. Or, or two maps at a time, I should say. So, for example, right now, I can look on my phone. I don't even need the app or need the game running. So, I can see that Turf War right now has Scorch Gorge and Mincemeat uh, Metalworks. And each of the modes, there's Turf War, there's a ranked mode, which I'll get to eventually. And Salmon Run, which is returning from uh, Splatoon 2. Which is essentially a horde mode. And you can see exactly what map is going, or what maps is going. And what game modes are going on in uh, the ranked mode. Which is a nice you know, change of place, right? Yeah. But, uh, be able to know fairly certainly what's uh, what you're going to be playing and if you don't like the map you could just skip it and do something else which there's plenty of other things you could do in the game you uh, know speaking of which you know let's go into something else that you could do in the game that you don't even need the online mode for the single player mode which starts off as essentially a tutorial uh you know teaching you the basics of how to play but then things get crazy <laughs> And it starts teaching you more, like, advanced tactics through the single-player scenarios. You know, like, uh, showing you how you could use the Squid Surge, which is one of the new abilities. Uh, Basically, if you're climbing a surface, you could hold down B. And depending on the gear abilities you you have, uh, you could uh, charge it for a moment and then shoot up the wall. Uh, and this move also has invincibility frames in it, because, right? Right. And you could use that to get through uh, a tight situation and then, you know, close the gap to, assuming that you're using a weapon that you want to be close up with, because there's some that you don't, uh, to close the distance on an enemy and kill them. And there's other situations where it's, you know, teaching you about situational awareness, teaching you how to jump over shockwaves that some of the special attacks do, that sort of thing. And 
but it's all tied into a also a story. So the the single player, it's using sort of the the hub mechanic of I want to say almost like a Super Mario Brothers game, where you have like an overarching uh, island world essentially, and you could drop into these well they call them cattles, but yeah, essentially yeah. Uh, transporters into a enclosed single-player environment, but the overworld also has hidden collectibles and stuff that you could do to uh, get more stuff, right? And the game is locked behind uh, these power eggs that you get from just exploration in the overworld, finding hidden caches, or defeating uh, the single-player uh, individual levels. <coughs> Uh, which has a pretty natural feeling progression. And you don't have to do most of the single player to actually get, to actually get the story. If you want to speed run it, you can just go pretty easily through a, a, and bypass a good chunk of uh, the content and just focus on getting enough of the power eggs to get unlock certain uh, paths. Which is nice, but at the same time, it also leaves a lot later on uh, to go back to, right? Yeah. Which it leaves, uh, yeah, things to do if, yeah. Oh, it's that map again, right? I guess the other kind of uh, distraction of it, uh, thing uh, in the game uh, that's not multiplayer-based is tabletop turf. Or tabletop, tur uh, tabletop turf war. Which is their... I I don't even want to call it a mini game. It's essentially a tabletop card based version of Turf War, and it's played against the AI of different uh, flavors. You unlock various ones uh, as you rank up uh, the uh, your you know tabletop turf ranking, and each one has different play styles and different decks. And as you play, you unlock packs of cards uh, and it's oh I'm blanking the name of the game I'm not uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, blocks uh, block use uh, if you've ever seen that game you'll know what I'm talking about where it's a square and you have essentially like Tetris like pieces uh, that you have to place on the uh, game board it's sort of like that where each card has a value and a organization of these blocks in different shapes and uh, and orientations, and yep. almost all of them have uh, like a special block on them as well, which I'll get to. And you start with one point on the map, and depending on which map you're on, because there's various game boards as well, which you know. It feels very over-the-top for a, you know, kind of a distraction thing, huh? Uh, and you place uh, your first card, and cards are played simultaneously, unless there's overlap. Then it's the card that has the lowest number, which typically means uh, cards that produce less ink are typically lower number, like something that has, like, five uh, blocks on it and uh, whatever configuration usually is a five or a four. And if you're playing something that with a large uh, splotch 
it could be upwards of 12, 13, 14. So you're covering a lot of area, but you're leaving yourself open to a counterattack. Essentially, uh, uh, simulating play, uh, playing too thin or playing too, you know, fast and loose, right? Yeah. And having somebody flank you. And you have to play um, paint next to, uh, in one of the eight blocks around wherever you have a block. So at first, it's only in one of eight blocks. Then it's surrounding any of the blocks that you've painted. And things could get rather chaotic if you're not careful. <laughs> and that's where the special uh, uh, blocks come in. So if on all the pieces, there's a special piece or a special you know, block. And if you surround it with ink of either color, mind you, uh, you know, you are playing against an AI opponent. If you surround your piece or you surround the enemy's piece, it gives them a special point. And then each card has a certain number of points that it requires to activate its special. Whenever you activate the special, it allows you to paint over enemy ink. Uh, and possibly cause a yeah a breakthrough event of going through uh, a place that you wouldn't be able to or even uh triggering more special uh tiles to be able to uh play again uh a special on your next turn it's actually really in depth for such a silly distraction you know yeah kind of the way you're describing it makes me think of gwent like not necessarily or not definitely in the way that uh, yeah. it's played but yeah, but yeah, the idea of they put some thought into this, and it feels almost like a demo of a bigger mode eventually, possibly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know the previous game had uh, many games built into it as yeah, you know, time wasters for you know whenever multiplayer is uh, changing or whatever. But yeah, this feels a lot more fleshed out than just a rhythm game, you know. Yeah. Um. So uh, let's go ahead and go on to ranked. I haven't done a, uh, any ranked play, but I have played the game modes both in the recon and as in some local co-op, which I'll get to in my you know adventure. There's four ranked modes that are not turf war. <laughs> funnily enough, there's splat zones, which is essentially turf war, but instead of the entire map, it's this one area. Or two areas, depending on the map. And whenever you cover them with uh, ink, it starts a, a countdown timer, and the first to zero wins. There's tower control, which is essentially a payload uh, uh, variant, where somebody has to stand on this tower and paint it, and occupy the tower to move it towards the enemy base. And uh, there's various check. Uh, there's three checkpoints that you have to go through that has like a short countdown uh, to continue on. And if everybody's on the tower, it starts slowly resetting to the neutral position. Team that gets the furthest wins. Rainmaker, which is essentially reverse capture the flag. Uh, you grab the Rainmaker, which is the super weapon, and you have to dunk it in uh, various control points, leading up to right in, under the enemy's uh, spawn point to win. And then there's Clan Blitz, which is essentially a rugby football game where you're collecting golden clams scattered across the field that are definitely not footballs. And you get a, uh, I think it's eight of them 
and you combine them into a power clam, and you're able to uh, destroy the barrier on your enemy's uh, goal and score 10 points, and then your teammates could uh, throw uh, additional golden clams in to be able to score more points, and once again, first uh, zero wins. Uh, Like I said, I haven't played these online yet because I still feel like I'm not good enough, right? Uh, But what I've done on Recon, I've gotten an idea of how they play, and I'm impressed with just how varied they are. And since the game rotates only a couple maps at a time, you you can see exactly what's being played right now. So right now in the series, which is you basically bid in so many of your ranking points to play five games and the most people or the most wins out of that five wins the uh, series. And then there's the open, which is essentially every man for himself uh, game mode where it's sort of just, you know, could go in with friends, could go in as a uh, single player and uh, play the various games. So right now, Clan Blitz is in the series games and Tower Control is in the open games. And I can see just going on and, and it changes every two hours. And like I said, it's an interesting take on the uh, various uh, styles of gameplay. Because gotta admit that eventually, you know, Shooters don't innovate that much, so having something that this that's this different is rather nice, and they kind of force people to play the different modes by just rotating them without having, you know, everybody on two for it, right? Um, excuse me. Yeah. You, uh... uh oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, no, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, you've had a, a whole lot to say about this, more than I expected you to, yeah. which is not a well, bad well, thing. Well I'm, well, I'm kind of breaking down everything, because I do have uh, my beast with the game, but I have really enjoyed it, too. Yeah. So, there's one other major mode that I haven't really talked about, which is the horde mode. The co-op uh, uh, versus AI salmon run, which is returning from the previous game. Only now it's a permanent fixture instead of popping up every so often. And it could get crazy. So it's, uh, you play, th- uh, well, up to three waves. And that's one thing that's kind of across all the modes is the games are short. So even if you're in a very bad matchup, you're not stuck there for long. Which really helps, you know, uh, alleviate some of the issues with having a bad team, right? Yeah. So Salmon Run, you're playing three uh, uh, rounds, or up to, and they kind of wrote, or, you know, there's a set map and a set set of weapons, which are not necessarily the weapons that you've played. And the map rotates every two and a half days, for whatever reason, right? So... Right now, there's a charger, there's a minigun, there's a shooter, and I don't know what the fourth one is on this. Uh, but it's always on the spawning grounds, and, and on this rotation, I should say. The next rotation uh, starts uh, in a couple days, and it has a completely different set of weapons, and a different map. And just because it's on the same map doesn't mean that it's you know, constantly the same. There's 
random events that could pop up during the uh, match. Like Fog could roll in to, you know, make it look like an N64 era game. Um, you could have, instead of the bosses that would normally come in, you'd have uh, a, uh, essentially a mass uh, uh, spawn and have just a stupid amount of enemies come in. Uh, you could have a mothership landing and uh, sending a bunch of uh, uh, flying enemies at you that you normally wouldn't see. And if you don't shoot them down, they start spawning even more enemies, because, right? So there's enough variance, even if it's just one map and one set of weapons. And mind you, the weapons also change every wave that you have. So, like, you may start with the, you know, the 52 gal. That's what they call it. The 52 caliber, 52 gal uh, shooter. And the next uh, wave, you might have the charger, you know, the sniper rifle. Which you know, also changes things up and adds a little bit of randomness to it. And uh, if you uh, complete all three waves, you start to rank up. Which also unlocks harder and harder versions of that map. Basically, more spawns, more health on the enemies, and more bosses. Which there's, I think, 11 or 12 different versions, or different ones. Which all have different techniques to uh, kill them quickly. Yeah, like you have one that swims uh, uh, through the level and comes up under you like Jaws. His name is Malls. And the way you defeat him quickly is to leave a bomb uh, where he's going to come up. It you know, flashes there for a moment. If you throw a grenade there, he'll eat the grenade and explode and instantly die. Or you can just shoot him, uh, but slower. Um, there's a dripper who looks like a dolphin, that will project a ring of paint. And if you cover his ring mostly, it switches to your color, and he essentially knows down his own to payment. You know, like he's at TwitchCon. But, um, Too soon? Too soon? Never. Not for that. And it leaves him open to attack for a few seconds uh, to you know, kill off. And, you know, like I said, there's different bosses that you tackle different ways, which uh, all spawn in different orders, depending on, you know, just your luck and difficulty level, that sort of thing. Uh, And as you rank up, you get a modifier to the job points that you get. And on each rotation, there's a certain number of points that you get for uh, a super bonus, which could be a stupid amount of cash or meal tickets, which actually something I didn't cover, which was they're essentially bu- uh, you know, temporary buffs that you can uh, unlock. Um, uh, that It's not gameplay changing, but it's uh, progression changing. It could be, you know, uh, it's limited to gold or experience. It's you know, either 50% or double depending on the version you use. You can get ability chunks. You can get all sorts of different things. And they also have an exclusive piece of gear that they unlock each month. Uh, and every time you get unlock a new version of it, you could trade in your old one if you want. If you like the uh, new one better, or trade in it for chunks. So it's a good way to rotate in, around and get a lot of stuff uh, pretty quickly without having to deal with the you know the twelve year olds have uh, they've spent all day playing, right? Yes, the worst. Mm-hmm. Which does kind of bring me to some of my beefs with the game and. 
I will say matchmaking sometimes is less than ideal. It doesn't seem to really, if you're in turf war open play, it doesn't account for the weapons that's being played. So I've had three rollers, which are very slow, and they can be effective, but they typically are uh, easily picked off by ranged weapons because, you know, right? Right. Uh, especially, you know, something that's mid to long range. I've had uh, games where I've had three rollers versus, you know, like a dually, uh, a charger. I mean, it just, yeah, like, uh, this this is going to be a miracle if we, uh, you know, get, make it even close, right? Yeah. And the matchmaking also kind of ties into the net code, which sometimes there's some laggy deaths I've had that it's been how the hell did he kill me? Right? Yeah. And and it's partly due to the way Splatoon handles things. It is a lot of projectile stuff, but it's also a, a slow uh, tick rate, and Nintendo's netcode has not always been the greatest. <laughs> so I've also had some issues with disconnects, and I've had it just error out when it goes to go to uh, finds a match, and that that will get eventually fixed. But it's extremely irritating right now, which is part of the reason why I've you know beat the single player <laughs> because I've just had a couple times where I wait you know thirty seconds to forty five seconds. Thankfully, matches are pretty quick to find, uh, and it just errors out. Okay, fine, I'll try it again. Error, try it again. And somebody disconnects in the first, you know, 30 seconds of the match. So the match is forfeit. And they just, you know, say, okay, well, that never happened. Forget that one. Which is nice that, you know, if somebody errors out or quits out of the game uh, early on, they won't hold it against you. And in a 4v4 match, losing a person is devastating, right? Yeah. Especially if, you know, it's against a, a, a two well-balanced teams, I guess I should say. But it, it is rather frustrating to, you know, have error, error, disconnect. Okay, fine, I'll go play the tabletop game again. I'm not in the mood <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I mean, it is a flaw on a very good game that is just oozing with style. It, or dripping with style, I guess I should say. Eh? But at the same time, it's, you know, it it is a very bad issue on a multiplayer-focused game. And also, it does require Nintendo Online, so, right? So, oh, there is one other mode that I haven't played that I should talk about that's part of Splatfests. Okay. So, Splatfest in this game, uh, well... Do, do you know what uh, you played Splatoon one? So do you know the concept of Splatfest, right? Yeah, I mean it's been a long time, so. so so basically once a month. Even though this month they're skipping October and going to November for a, a Pokemon themed one, they propose a question of some sort, and you join teams and fight it out to figure out who wins. So the previous event was rock paper scissors. In Splatoon 3, it's three-sided instead of two-sided like in the first two games. 
So uh, you had people join Team Rock, Team Paper, and Team Scissors and battle out. Then at the halfway point, they unlock the new mode, Tricolor Turf War, which is three teams on a map with the leading team in the, sp- in the spot fest on the defensive against the two other teams. The two other teams have two members uh, each, while the s- defense team has uh, four members. And there's a couple of special things, like if one of the uh, center, uh, if one of the def- uh, offensive teams gets in the center, they could score a, 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 like a super blast to do a massive amount of damage and get extra points for their team for the uh, for the splat fest. And uh, there's some things that needs to be rebalanced, in my opinion. Uh, because uh, some people have run some math on it, and it's pretty much if you're in the lead in the uh, at halftime on Splatfest, go you know, and you're on the defense on uh, uh, Tricolor Turf War, you're in serious trouble because it's uh, far easier to lose it than it is to win it as a defending team. So that might be something that uh, part of the reason why they don't have one for October. Uh, but yeah, it's. Interesting concept. Like I said, I hadn't been able to get into it <laughs> because once the uh, yeah uh, Splatfest hits its halfway point, well, the one that I played in post-launch, I didn't realize it was a sing- uh, it was its own queue until very late in the preview event, so I didn't get really get a chance to even play it there. Uh, the Splatfest in the first one was, what do you bring to a, de- to a deserted island? Gear, food, or fun? And like two-thirds of the people said gear, which I did too. Yeah. So if you queued up for uh, Tricolor, uh, Team Gear, for whatever reason, was not in the lead at halftime. So Team Gear was on the offense, and good luck, right? Good luck getting in, right? Right. So, yeah, uh, there, there's some numbers issues that they should uh, uh, address, but it's all coming down to just balancing. Uh, overall, I think it's a good mode from everything I've looked at. And like I said, it gets a little crazy, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Because uh, so you're a next, squid now. Yeah. You're a kid now. Yeah, the next uh, Splatfest is going to be in November, and it's Pokemon-themed. Which starter are you? Team Grass, Team Fire, or Team Water? So that's going to be fun to see how that breaks down, right? Yeah, it will. So was it my turn? Yeah, I think so. I ended up talking for a lot longer than I anticipated. Yep, that's okay. So uh, mine's going to be really short to compensate. So I played the latest MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries DLC which is called uh, Call to Arms. So in a previous, in, in the Heroes of the Inner Sphere, I think it was the Heroes of the Inner Sphere DLC, the, the previous one, um, they added the ability to melee attack. Mechs uh, would just use their hands if they, if they had arms and hands and, and could melee attack, then it just was listed as one of your attacks. And they did damage, kind of in line with um, the auto cannons. Uh, Light mechs would do roughly in like an AC2's worth of damage, which is not a lot, 
but you're in a light mech. You really shouldn't be meleeing anyways. Medium X did uh, round AC5 damage. Heavy Max around AC10. And Assault Max around AC20. So, you know, if you're up close with your big pun- with your big stompy boys, they could be big punchy boys. Now, there were several mods already that did this. And a couple that came out afterwards or that they tweaked after the DLC released to add melee weapons. Uh, like the hatchet, the, the famed hatchet, saw blades, uh, spikes, mech claws, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's pretty pretty well implemented. You wouldn't know that it wasn't the stock implementation of the melee attacks. And then Call to Arms releases, which is a melee weapon focused DLC that adds hatchets and swords and pikes and other melee weapons that exist in the on the tabletop as well as some that do not. Um, and it's implemented well. But it it feels, and I have no idea if this is true or not. This isn't really an accusation, just an observation. This DLC feels exactly like they copied one of the melee weapon mods and just used that. Um, the models look uh, almost identical. Their implementation of how you equip them to your mech looks almost identical. Um, mechs that have hands can just hold melee weapons. Um, if your mech doesn't have hands, there are special attachments for each of your, or for, for each of the mechs to have that, that are melee weapon compatible. Um, you know, and it might replace the arm completely and it pop out, or it might be, uh, sticking out kind of sideways, depending like some of the, I believe they're called trench knives, mech trench knife. Um, that's a big trench. It is a big trench. Uh, then the hatchet man hatchet actually attaches to the arm as opposed to just straight being held in the hand. Um, which is which is cool, but it's like mm, this really feels like you just copied one of the mods. Whether or not you actually did, that's what it feels like. Um, it also adds uh new hero mechs, new mech weapon var or sorry, new mech variants. Um, there are some pretty cool melee focused mech builds in the lore for the tabletop game. Um, you've got, uh, like the hatchet man, the ax man and the berserker, which are all melee focused battle mechs that have, uh, a hatchet and ax and like a battle ax respectively, um, as melee weapons for the tabletop. But there's, uh, especially for the clan era, wherever the clan invades and Comstar showed up and started showing off all the secret stuff they had hidden the whole time. There's a bunch of mechs that use swords, uh, very anime style. Um, <laughs> and then the, uh, uh, Greetings, the sort of but now, Japanese now I'm just imagining, uh, Yeah. The buster sword only even more ridiculous. Yep, there's a, a mech claymore that weighs 10 tons um, and can be wielded only by 90 ton and heavier assault mechs. Well, of course, because otherwise the sword is wielding the mech. True. Very true. But, um, you know, there's some Comstar mechs that have swords in them, and then after the Curitans, which are the sort of Japanese-themed uh, space nation, um, they, they start 
uh, getting katanas for their mechs. Which, I would be lying if I said it didn't look cool. But it's like, okay, this is very stereo- very stereotypical. But anyways, so it, you know, it adds all that stuff. New mech variants. Um, several additional new weapons beyond just the melee weapons. Adds a new career mode start. Which is the, you know, galaxy map. Do single player stuff, but not uh, following the main story. So they had a new career mission start. As well as a uh, uh, several new story missions. I think it's a five mission campaign, as well as multiple smaller campaigns, um, sort of the random ones that you can find just amongst regular contracts. So, you know, all of the problems that I had with it, though, have not been addressed. The mech lab still sucks. Customizing your mechs is horrible in the base game without a mod um i'm currently using yet another mech lab it's just y-a-m-l uh it's good lets you change out engines armor types equipment no more of their stupid small medium and large slots you just get Mm -hmm. the sort of variant you know energy slots or ballistic slots that was popularized in the uh in mech warrior online and then later Hairbrain schemes, uh, turn-based battle tech. So I like that too. I mean, I do like the tabletop customization system where you can basically do anything you want with any mech, but kind of the fun, like that limited restriction, you know, this mech is designed for energy weapons or ballistics or whatever, you know, it kind of, kind of helps you keep with the theme or the role of mechs. But I mean, the tabletop mech construction, you could do whatever you want. Which can also be fun in its own way. But anyways, I I digress. Um, Other major problems, the enemy spawn system is ridiculous and utterly broken, and they have never once fixed or improved it. The game is genuinely, literally unplayable without the mech, or without the enemy spawns mod. Um, It's called Enemy Drops, uh, which makes enemies come in via dropship, as opposed to just spawning randomly on the map. You mean spawn, uh, spawning right behind you. Right, spawning right behind you. Um, there are still enemy spawns on the map, but it makes sense. Like, if there's a base on the map that you're supposed to assault, enemies will spawn there at map generation, um, as opposed to just spawning around you at all times. And then mechs and tanks uh, have to be dropped off via dropships if they're reinforcements. So that is nice. There's supposed to be a, a newer, better version coming, a you know, a 3.0 version, but it's not out yet. But yeah, if you're if you want to play this game and you want to keep it stock, no mods at all, or at least as few mods as possible, you have to do the better spawns mod. It actually makes the game playable because you're not constantly being attacked by enemies that spawn directly behind you. So, um, there's a bunch of others. If anyone wants to play, I can recommend several to you. Actually, one thing that they did change, which makes a big difference in the game, is that you can now ignore, or now the drop tonnage limits don't actually do anything. It just, now it's suggested tonnage as opposed to maximum tonnage you can drop by default. That was also just silly. Yeah, there were several mods that did that, which just removed the tonnage limits. But now it's it's suggested tonnage. So based on the mission difficulty, it'll suggest, you know, dropping 
120 tons or 220 tons or, or whatever. Um, and certain missions now, uh, particularly the story missions, because you can pick them up at any time as opposed to a certain point in the game, um, you know, being a certain level or, you know, level gated, I guess, uh, will now dynamically adjust the enemies based on how much tonnage you bring to the battle. So that has some pros and cons. Um, Cause I rush to get a couple of assault mechs as early as possible in the game. Cause that really lets you expand your options uh, with what you can do, especially from multi-mission contracts, which are worth the most money and have the best gear. So it can be weird to tackle a, a uh, pre-gen mission that's adjusting enemy difficulty based on how much shit you bring to the fight. Cause it's like, yeah, I've got a hundred ton Atlas and then like two locusts and a, a blackjack. But it's like, it sees me dropping a hundred ton Atlas and it's okay. Here's, here's an assault Lance for you to fight. It's like, Oh goody. But if you win, you know, that means you get like potentially a, a battle mech or two. I am. I did start using a mod that uh, makes the salvage system work more like the Hairbrain Schemes Battletech salvage system. Um, so you can get mech parts to assemble a mech as opposed to all or nothing, which that's really good because that means that you can... You uh, know, now, I'm it, just, now I'm just imagining. I know it's not how it works, but an atlas that you just have two left legs on, so it just spins. Right. <laughs> it falls over. Constantly. Oh. It's like, oh, buddy. You got like half the chassis, one arm, two left legs. But it's still your best mech, so you just take, you go, you go with it. Right. But yeah, that's that's MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries, uh, Call to Arms DLC. This is supposed to be the last DLC, but they also said that after the Heroes of the Inner Sphere DLC, and then, like, two months down the road, they announced Call to Arms. So, on who knows? Of the Terraria model of, yeah, this is totally going to be the last update. Yeah. Who knows if that's the case or not. There's still plenty of things that they've promised and swear that they're going to get working, like the infantry, um, which there, you know, there's a mod for that. There's mods that do that. But in the base game, they swear they're going to get infantry working. They're going to change up, like add some greater mission variety. So far, that's a no-go. But do you want me to talk about my other game real quick? Because it will only take me a few minutes before you talk about your adventure. So the other game I played this week was Supreme Commander Forged Alliance. Um, This is Supreme Commander Forged Alliance is the standalone expansion to the original Supreme Commander um, and is basically more Supreme Commander. I've talked about Supreme Commander a couple of times in the past. Um, It is a real-time strategy game uh, that is very large-scale, very flexible with what you can do with your units. It's one of the few games that has multi-monitor support right out the box where that your second monitor can serve as your map and your first, you know, your primary monitor can serve as your interaction with the, you know, your units and building and such. Um, It is all around an excellent game where your quote unquote, your unit, your commander unit is in a mech. Um, They're called APUs in the game. I can't remember what that stands for off the top of my head, but 
they have uh, weapons capabilities. They serve as the first sort of way that you can build your base. And then you you build your base, you expand, you, you do real-time strategy stuff. You know, air units, naval units, uh, ground units, you know, tanks, walkers, hover vehicles, depending on the faction. Um, they have tech that focuses kind of more one way or the other on a specific unit type, or maybe just for flavor. Um, you know, they might be more hover tanks versus more mechs or whatever. Um, there's experimental units, nuclear weapons. You do all kinds of stuff. It's a really, really, really good real-time strategy game. It's one of kind of the greats that I can think of. You know, it's like the Command & Conquer series, you know, kind of, for the most part, occupies a slot all on its own because there's so many good ones. But then, like, Supreme Commander is one that I think of and putting in that list. So Forge Alliance is the standalone expansion of Supreme Commander. It has all of the original factions from the first game. It adds a new fourth faction and a new single-player campaign, um, which I'm currently playing through. And the, I guess you could say gimmick, the original Supreme Commander had three major factions that each had a fully fleshed-out single-player campaign that the stories were kind of interwoven, and you know you would mix, as you played through all three of them, you would see points from one campaign showing up in the other one, and um, you know some shared missions where that, you know, you played one side or the other, depending on which uh, campaign you were playing. Red, Red Alert, um, it's, well, several of the Command & Conquer games did this really well as well, um, where that the faction missions intertwine and don't conflict with one another. Because not only are you playing, you know, a different faction, but you're doing something different on a, you know, the other side of the battlefield or whatever. So it's like both sides can still, quote unquote, win from the storytelling perspective. But anyways, so the gimmick here is that you can choose which of the three factions take on the campaign missions. And I'm still working through my first playthrough, so I don't know what the differences are. I'm going with the faction that I always played with the most um, and knew the best. So uh, I'm kind of sticking to that. Um, Then it adds new maps for skirmish and multiplayer and... Uh, like I said, there's the fourth faction that's been added. So, but I mean, it's it's more of Supreme Commander. It's a very good game. I recommend it to anybody who likes real time strategy games. Um, one of the people from my uh, Vampire the Masquerade group was like, "Hey, we should play sometime." Yeah, I see that you have this on Steam, and I was like, "Yeah, I guess I could install it and start playing it." But I'm gonna warn you, I'm a very long way away from being ready to play in multiplayer. So I've started the, the single player campaign, but good game. Two thumbs up would recommend it's on sale all the time. It's pretty cheap. It's an older game. You shouldn't have any issues running it from a hardware perspective. It runs fine on windows 10, no weird issues or compatibility nonsense that I, I can see two thumbs up, get it. If you like real time strategy games and you don't have it. Oh, adventure time, adventure time. So this is the third year I've went to SabasaCon, which is the local anime slash nerd fest. A three-day event, and boy, was I beat Sunday. Still was able to send chat for a while, but whew. So it's actually a, an anime event that's nearby, so you know, thankfully no hotel room to deal with and that nonsense. Uh, trying to think of, um, I guess just 
go in order. So, uh, Thursday night pickup, nothing really major to report outside of there was one person there dressed as uh, one of the guards from Squid Games, which was a little unnerving, right? Yeah. And, and not the Squid Game I was talking about earlier, because, right? No, the Netflix series Squid Game. Which I still need to sit down and watch. I know, you know, the basic idea of it, but I haven't actually sat down and watched it. So Friday, it was pretty much consumerism for me. You know, hitting the vendor hall. Um, took the niece again this year. Uh, last year was her, her first year to it. Uh, but didn't have her till the afternoon. So, uh, And hit the arcade, which they mostly go on fighting games and rhythm games, but they did have pinball this year, which was a nice uh, change of pace. And something that you don't see that often. Uh, that's something we uh, talked about Sunday, but kind of, uh, you know, still don't see pinball out in the wild too often these days. And I get why. It's expensive to maintain the machines. They have a lot more wear and tear than a just a video game. But at the same time, you know, it's nice to see something different, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I love pinball. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had uh, the Deadpool pinball game from uh, just a few years ago. And a... Uh, I'm not sure if it was a generic kaiju game or if it was uh, themed around Godzilla. Because I actually never got to play that one. That one had a hell of a line on it. Because the uh, the anime cons theming changes every year. And this year, it was cryptids. So, you know, like Bigfoot, uh, Chupacabra, Mothman, that sort of thing. And... All the cryptid events, which there was a few panels talking about them, which uh, were really interesting, but at the same time, they were pretty much just sometimes felt like info dubs reading from Wikipedia were packed. I mean, there was one about Japanese mythology and uh, cryptids and yeah, folklore. Yeah. The room had like three empty seats. It was amazingly packed to the point that I just, you know, doped out. Yeah, maybe that's too many people for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had one that was uh, West Virginia cryptids and uh, Native American folklore cryptids, uh, which was also pretty packed. Um, and then the they had a third one that uh, well, I went to that was uh, res- uh, revolving around the ones talking about cryptids involved in disasters in Japanese folklore. You know, like the great catfish that causes earthquakes, that sort of thing. Or the decapitated head of this uh, Japanese philosopher that is blamed for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, great fires and uh, 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 diseases and stuff. Because uh, he was kind of a dick and they killed him. All right. Right. So, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and just seeing just a massive amount of cosplay around uh, these cryptids was just amazing. Uh, but uh, the big one around here is Mothman. So there was uh, actually a Mothman 
meetup at one point. I didn't know that was going to happen. But all of a sudden, I just hear chanting, Moth, Moth, Moth. I turn around, and there was like a dozen different variants of Mothman. <laughs> I, I showed you the picture of that one. You did, yeah, you sent me that picture. Uh, to me, it was completely unscripted, because, you know, I didn't know about it until, you know, after the fact. Because somebody was uh, bemoaning, uh, you know, missing it. And it's like, oh, that's what that was. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, you know, neat to find all the... Well, one, I live in a very red state, all right? And going to these geeky shows, it's nice to have a place that, you know, accepts you, you know? And doesn't judge you for, you know, not being an absolute cold-blooded son of a bitch. Right. Yeah, you know, seeing people walk around uh, with, uh, well, I had ally, uh, uh, an ally ribbon, uh, but yeah, seeing the LGBTQ ribbon, seeing people uh, feeling comfortable enough in their own space that they could, you know, express themselves, right? Yeah, feeling more secure. Yeah, and it outside of one interaction with a vendor. Everything felt really positive and really uh, supportive, you know? Yeah. Did you tell me about the negative interaction? And I'm just drawing a blank. Uh, I don't think I did. I, I didn't really bring it up to you. There was... So, uh, this was uh, Monday. Or, or, sorry, not Monday. Uh, Friday, the first day of the event. Uh, go into the vendor area, which... The vendor area expanded this year and was really, really dense. There was... 40 tables in there. Yeah. Which, uh, I, I would have to see if I can find a map for it, but, you know, there was four lanes of tables, uh, essentially like three alleys. And one of the early uh, ones uh, going into it from the main hall. So they have like, uh, it enters from the uh, lobby of the convention center. And then uh, there's like the, this massive area that could be blocked off and uh, split into two, which they do for this. And one half is the gaming section, the other half is the vendor section. And then at the end of it, there's a, a, a connection between the two. So they have a premium, uh, you know, uh, first in for, you know, buying the premium pa uh, pass, and then uh, then all the uh, plebs could get in uh, once they opened up to the general public. And there was this guy that was selling a video game accessory. He had one product. Or, or sorry, he had two products. He had one main product and then one like secondary thing he was doing. It was like this magnetic thumb thing. Oh, I remember you telling me about those. Yeah. Yeah, he was super aggressive. You know, super pushy about it. And just, you know, it was really off-putting. So the whole idea of it was to alleviate uh, your thumb fatigue. So you have these magnetic things that you put uh, silicone, like, thumb uh, tip uh, uh, covers that you put on. And it will magnetically lock your thumbs to the uh, thumbsticks. And I didn't think about this till after the fact, uh, until after the con and talking to you about it. What happens if you need to press one of the face buttons? You're going to lift your thumb up and you're going to move the stick because magnetic, right? Yeah. Didn't even think about that when you mentioned it the other day. 
Yeah, I didn't even think about it till yeah after the fact that I was sitting here playing Splatoon. It's like, oh, okay, well, I need to you know, uh, jump. Well, if I was doing this with that stupid thumb thing, which I have fat thumbs. So it was like, yo, uh, really strangling my thumbs, uh, uh, trying to wear them. And he had this other one that was like this really deep, depressive uh, uh, cover that you put on the thumbstick to uh, help prevent slippage. Which, honestly, I've never really had an issue with uh, thumb slippage on a controller unless I've worn the ever-living fuck out of that controller. And that was, like, on my 360 controller that I had for, like, five years, six years. So, that was my one negative interaction. Uh, But it did seem like somebody talked to him because after the fact, I, uh, you know, after, you know, like, halfway through the first day, I didn't really see him doing a really, really hard sale on anyone. So I'm not sure if people uh, just, you know, told him no, if he backed off, uh, somebody talked to him or what, but I still avoided him. Uh, but yeah, they had a lot of, you know, as you would imagine, a lot of anime stuff, but also a lot of, you know, neat, weird shit. Like, well, I showed you the uh, spooky Bulbasaur I got uh, for Anita. Uh, it's a Bulbasaur, only instead of blue, he's black. And instead of this, you know, like, flower bud on his back, he has a pumpkin. So he's spooky sore. We've named him Jack. You there? Nice. Yes, okay. I'm here. Uh, you you were Jack. just quiet. Spook Jack. Um, I bought a grab bag of Japanese snacks. Because it, it's kind of funny. Okay, so it's... Yep. Expensive for snacks, but cheap for Japanese ones, right? Yeah. We did we did some price comparisons Sunday night. Yeah. Uh I bought a twenty dollar grab bag of snacks and I had a couple packages of they're not pocky, but they're pocky esque. They're a uh, I had one of them because it was mint. Uh it's like a uh cookie tube that's filled with a cream uh, and this one was uh, uh, like a light mint cream uh, with a, 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 a light mint cream with a chocolate cookie on it uh, there's that there was a bag of uh, chips that was very strangely textured they, it, it didn't feel like potato chips it, they felt really airy yeah. and they were, were uh, flavored with Himalayan sea salt Oh, sorry, Himalayan salt, uh, not sea salt. Uh, Himalayan is exactly the opposite of uh, sea. It's a mountain salt. Uh, there was... Oh, I ate one. There's another you know, pseudo-Pocky-esque thing. There's some chocolate coffee uh, uh, cookies in there. And then there were uh, another bag of cookies that... I'm not sure what flavor they are, if they're like animal crackers or what, but eh, right? And yeah. then I bought. Then uh, just to round it out, uh, for three bucks, I bought a uh, a packet of uh, fried squid. Uh, squid, and actually a pretty sizable packet. Nice. So, uh, something I've always wanted to try, but I never wanted to spend like the ten to fifteen bucks to get a decent amount on Amazon, right? And 
to be perfectly honest, uh, Amazon's probably the cheaper option if you buy somewhere else. Price-wise, it's uh, less expensive, but shipping-wise, they uh, charge you out of the wazoo, right? Yeah, very oftentimes that does happen. So there was that. I got a, a shirt with an octopus on it. <laughs> yeah, just you know, consumerism uh, on Friday. Didn't really hit any of the panels. Uh, did go and play Splatoon there. That's why I talked about Splatoon first before this. And that's how I got some experience with the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, ranked modes. Because did local multiplayer on that. Because they were having issues with the uh, online multiplayer for uh, Switch. Yeah. There were a couple of panels I wanted to hit. But uh, one, uh, it was just... Like, right after the vendors opened up and I lost track of Tom. I just didn't want to bother with it, because you're right. Yeah. Uh, and then there was another one that was... Um, uh, right when uh, we were getting the kid. So, uh, Braylon was showing up at about five-ish. And wanted to take uh, them around the, the vendor area. And, you know, didn't want to just leave Anita to the kid, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I wanted to spend time with my niece. So, right? Officially your niece after getting married. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's uh, started uh, calling me uncle, so there is that. Feels a little weird at times, but it's also nice. Yeah. So, uh, took her around, showed her some things. Uh, She uh, has picked up my habit of buying pens. Oh, that's the other thing, is I've got a couple, like, really nice uh, uh, quality pins. Got one that's uh, a little Loch Ness monster in a, like, goldfish bag that I thought was cute. I, too, found that one adorable. Well, I, I'll send you a picture of it later. The one, I thought you the sent one me I, a picture of that, the one with the, f- the fish in the bag. No, 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 that's not even a pin. That's uh, just a... Oh, you're uh, right, you're right. You said pin. My mistake. That was my bad. Yeah, I also got a resin goldfish uh, or a resin uh, goldfish bag that has a little goldfish in it. But no, this is a Loch Ness monster uh, in a bag. And uh, but my favorite pen I got uh, this year was it's a laptop computer. It has a little black cat curled up on it. Uh, on yeah, the that keyboard. checks out. And it glows in the dark. the The screen on the the computer will glow, which I just thought was awesome. So there's that. Uh, uh, Saturday, I hit a couple panels. Um, tried to hit one of the cryptid ones, but it was just busy because, oof, right? Yeah. Uh, hit an improv panel that made me laugh so hard, I actually got a little bit of a headache from it. Uh, the improv group was actually uh, uh, really good there. Um, and uh, I went to another one of theirs later on. It was uh, uh, about uh, uh, anime, or not about anime pairings, but they used a lot of anime examples, but about pairing off people, uh, not just uh, romance, but also, you know, like family, uh, siblings, uh, rivalry, uh, uh, mentorship, that sort of thing. I got semi-dragged to, but enjoyed it uh, uh, nonetheless. The kiddo also went to a (laughs) K-pop Uh, one and learned to dance uh, to a K-pop song. So uh, when uh, BTS is uh, dance invading North Korea, uh, she can take over, right? Right. 
Uh, trying to think of anything else major. I mean, there was a lot of gaming stuff this time around that I did. Um, I'm looking at another con in February that I might go to that's more video game focused. Yeah. Uh, it's actually in the same building, but it's a single day thing. So there's that. I do wish I had caught uh, a couple of the other panels that didn't really uh, uh, have time for or just lost track of time. Right? Yeah. Because that's the other thing is, yeah. Uh, went to get uh, lunch slash dinner uh, because it was in, you know, like weird time slot. We uh, wanted to avoid the lunch rush and neither of us were hungry because we ate a decent breakfast. So by the time we, uh, well, the first day we uh, ate there, which eating there and eating at the ball was about the same price overall, but eating at the ball yipped more and it was a better quality meal. Right? Yeah. Uh, by the time we got there uh, at eight and came back, it was yeah you know, like right on time for the uh, next for the panel I wanted to go to, and it was one of the cryptid ones. And that's when I looked in and just saw the room pack. It was like looking into a sardine can. Right. I, I actually didn't go to the concerts this year. I, it was a more of a folksy pop thing this time around. It just wasn't my thing. Um. Trying to think of anything else, really. Uh, maybe next year I'll go to the train panel and report back to you, right? Indeed. Oh, uh, uh, the last panel I went to, uh, uh, outside of the closing ceremonies, uh, you, you would approve of, but also disapprove of, because it's, but we're both girls. Uh, talking about Yuri and uh, uh, manga and uh, literature. You're correct. I do approve. But I also disapprove because it's not boy's love. Yes, but I can. I'm okay with with lesbian love. That's fine. Yeah, kiddo wanted to go to that one, and I didn't want to. I, I, I was semi interested, but also, eh, why not uh, uh, go with them? Because I have a feeling that if her father was there, well, first of all, her father wouldn't have gone uh, gotten through the doors because judgmental asshole. And yes, I realize the. Uh, hypocrisy of calling him a judgmental asshole while being a judgmental asshole, right? Yeah, but in this way, you're not sexist or homophobic or transphobic, uh, but or he et cetera. would he would be making uh probably gagging noises the entire time. Lovely, because, right? Yeah, he's one of those. Yeah. Oh, but I did also get my first Funko Pop, so there is that, which is nice. Yeah, uh, well, I I didn't buy him. Uh, he, I was going to need a, something Mudkip related, uh, a little keychain to put on her backpack. And this was at the swap beat on the last day. And uh, the seller was just trying to get rid of practically everything. And she said, uh, here, uh, take Lord Frieza because he's a bitch. <laughs> So I got Lord Frieza for the price of uh, nothing. So there's that. He's a little battle worn. It looks like he, uh, you know, might have done some LSD. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Probably did. But that's okay. There's no shame in using LSD. No, but there's shame in being Lord Frieza. Or or that, or, you know, he's wondering what the hell is going on with my slug. Because that's something Adita got me. A fidget slug. Yeah, I had a good time. 
It's one of those things that can't... It, once you start talking about it, it feels like I didn't do a lot, but at the same time, I'll, I felt like I did a lot, right? Yeah. A lot to see, a lot of walking around to yeah. do. Yeah, a lot of mistake. yeah, a lot of hobbling around. Didn't take as many pictures as I thought I would. I did uh, run into Mister Satan. Uh, I did wish him luck on uh, the cosplay contest, but unfortunately, he had to drop out because he had a stomach ache. Uh, there was this amazing Waluigi <laughs> running around. <laughs> Sorry, that was a delayed reaction because I'm tired. But uh, you just realized. I oh, just wait. realized. Yeah, which. <laughs> Did he actually, or did, was that just straight up a joke that you that, made? No, that's the character. Uh, well, yeah, was, I know, he, I know. He, he, he said that. Okay, yeah, I, I know, I know, Mister Mister Satan's whole shtick. <laughs> uh, there was this amazing uh, uh, gender swapped Waluigi running around. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and of course, all the Mothman and such. There was one Mothman that was carrying a, a lampshade, and there was a couple cryptid hunters that were walking around with butterfly nets. Oh, that's, that's the other thing, is the ribbon game, uh, which I think I talked about last year, essentially achievements. Uh, and there was more this year than there were last year. Uh, some of the vendors would give them to you for, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, buying stuff at their uh, thing, and some had more themed ones, like the one of the bigger pin vendors uh, had different ones depending on what type of pin you got. Because, right, uh, like I got when I got my cat pin, I got one that was cat related, and then when I got the uh, second one later on, I got a Delf pin, which is dude, I love frogs. Yeah. Uh, there was some other ones that you had to do certain things like. There was the I'm a trash man one where you go around and pick up garbage that other people dropped. Yep. Uh, rewarding you for cleaning up. Yeah. Um, there was the equivalent exchange one where you'd trade something uh, for uh, the uh, uh, the a ribbon. Yeah, full metal alchemist, right? So for that one, I gave him a, a bat ring that I got as a freebie from a different. <laughs> Because right, yeah. And then there was others that you know you traded for, or some that were just donation based, like you know donating to the Mongo Library. Uh, gave you uh, a a bed or a ribbon there. Donating to uh, 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 the uh, the big uh, pin ribbon uh, place also had one that was. Uh, Donating to gamers for a cause, or, 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 or no, no, it wasn't ever. It wasn't uh, 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 that one. That that was a different one. There was one that was uh, building a. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember what one it was because kiddo donated, uh, and it was a LGBTQ uh, charity, but I can't remember what it was or which one it was, but. It would give you essentially a secondary form of the LGBTQ uh, uh, ribbons that was more fancy. Like I had the uh, basic ally uh, one, but uh, the donation one, it was brighter, almost holographic, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there was also some silly ones like uh, 
financially uh, irresponsible for giving them a dollar, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just, you know, something to do on top of going to the con and going to panels and that sort of thing. And there were people going around with, like, a blanket hanging from their <laughs> badge of just all the ribbons that they've done. It was uh, actually quite impressive, but had a lot of fun just, you know, doing some of the batches and some of the ribbons and that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, if you're, you know, near West Virginia, well, first of all, I'm so sorry for you. And second of all, it, I think it's well worth the trip uh, to go to it. It's going to be about the same time... Next year, I think it's supposed to be the 6th through the 8th of October uh, in 2023. They haven't announced the theme yet. Uh, it's going to be their 20th anniversary, and they want to make it a big one, and they want to have community involvement on picking it. So they're going to have like a poll later on. So it's going to be intriguing. But yeah, that was Sabasacon, unless you have some questions about it. I do not. All right. Let's move on to do the news. Uh, the first new to- news topic has a million links for it, or it feels like it. Google kills Stadia. <laughs> yeah, we're a little late for this one because, yo, you were dying last week. Yeah, I was. I, w- I went home sick from work. I had a fever. But look at it this way. I was out. You missed having to do all these links. That's true. Very true. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, who did not see this coming? Uh, uh, no one, no one uh, didn't see this coming. Uh, Stadia was, uh, I felt like it was doomed since it was announced, and it's mostly due to Google's history of just killing shit, even shit that was doing good, that was you know uh, popular, that was being used. They were just in the service for whatever reason. And it made it so that people were very hesitant to get, uh, jump on Stadia. And for good reason, obviously, now. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of the situation Sega put themselves in. Uh, in, uh, you know, the, towards the end of their console days. They screwed themselves on uh, the Genesis by pushing out a couple of add-ons and just not supporting them and dropping them pretty quickly, or dropping support. And then when the next console came out, you know, not many people bought into it. And to be honest, there were other reasons for that as well. But, you know, it definitely didn't help things. Then when the next one came out and did even worse, and it was up against the original PlayStation, right? Yeah. You know, consumer goodwill, uh, even though it doesn't seem like it, does matter in the long run. Yeah. It does for sure. But yeah, I mean, you know, we weren't going back to what you said a second ago. Like we all saw the writing on the wall that this was going to happen, not just because of Google's history. And like you said, you know, kind of that it said Google's history sets up a negative feedback loop for stuff like this. But, you know, when asked questions about like, how do you expect people to be able to, you know, actually make this work in the United States where Internet access is not as universal as it should be, nor are the speeds good. They would say things like, like, uh, they would say things along the lines of, well, we expect cable providers to work to provide <laughs> yeah, good right. services to their their customers. And it's like, oh, you've never 
you're so rich and privileged. You've never had to pay for, you know, pay your ISP a day in your life. Like, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. So, you know, ignorance and or just sort of arrogance. I'm not sure which which is which, you know. Ignorance I think it's to, arrogance, really. Yeah. Because they think that because they're Google, people are going to bow, uh, bow to them. Which, just, is it going to work like that, right? Nope. I mean, Google is a big, you know, sort of honestly, like Hydra. Not just, you know, not just a monster or a, a monolith. Or it's like a Hydra with many heads all doing stuff at all times. like And sometimes doing things that are completely contrary to what the others are doing. Like, yes. I don't know, releasing a laptop built for cloud gaming. Two weeks after they <laughs> announced they're killing Stadia. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I'm out of the loop when it comes to the laptop hardware, but it seems decent outside of the $600 some price tag, which wasn't the whole big thing about cloud gaming being be able to do it on practically any hardware. Yep. So why do I need a $600 laptop? Right? Yeah. Now, to be clear, if you're using, uh, what is it, GeForce Now or what or whatever, the NVIDIA's streaming, mm-hmm. game streaming service, like, it works really well on most low and mid-grade hardware. Um, and Steam's, granted, you have to be on the same network, but Steam's and home streaming works well. Um... Yeah, but you're also not streaming from a server farm, uh, you know, several hundred miles away through you know, uh, the U.S.'s rapidly decaying uh, infrastructure. Sony's pr- uh, streaming proprietary game streaming service has worked well for them and the few Amazon's years up. passable as long as you're not doing anything that requires a lot of precision. I don't mm-hmm. know why uh, these gaming streaming sites or these services focus on the absolute maximum, uh, you know, uh, graphical fidelity games and, you know, Twitch you know, gameplay uh, situations. It, it feels really off to play a racing game with that delay, you know? Yeah. And seeing some of these games have uh, fighting games, or, or seeing some of these services have fighting games, whoo, right? Yeah. But I mean, I, I've said for years, and I still believe that cloud gaming or game streaming will one day be the future of, of mainstream gaming. Like, it will be the future of mainstream gaming one day, in much the same way that Netflix and, you know, streaming video services, for better or for worse, um, have have almost completely replaced traditional uh TV and and broadcast media. I think game streaming will eventually replace for the most part the gaming experience, you know, how you game, where you game, what you game on and with. I think it really depends on if there could be a major push in the US for or I should say for U.S.-based gamers, it really depends on if there could be a major push on infrastructure. Because, right? But even then, you're still looking at the geographic problem with the United States. I think it's going to be a lot bigger in 
Asia and Europe than it is here. It's just so much easier because you have uh, densities, right? Yeah. At least in my opinion. So there, there are some things to cover outside of just, you know, Google uh, deciding to flip the switch in January and uh, take Stadia offline. So uh, there, oh, I didn't grab a link for that one, but there was somebody that has several hundred hours in Red Dead Redemption uh, 2 through Google Stadia begging Rockstar to be able to transfer his account. Uh, I haven't seen anything update on that one. I'm going to have to search that one real quick. But, you know, it kind of ties into, you know, uh, Ubisoft has said that they're going to work on uh, transferring your Stadia purchases to PC, which it's weird to have uh, Ubisoft be the good guys here, huh? Good guys is, is a relative term. But, yeah. I don't... Just thinking about the rest of this. Are we missing anything? Am I missing something? Uh, on the whole thing or some of the... Oh, the, the refunds. Did you mention the refunds? Oh, no, no, I haven't mentioned the refunds yet. So Google is actually being very generous with the refunds. Essentially, everything short of a subscription to their pro service is getting refunded. Yep. Which, in a vacuum, is a mm-hmm. nice thing to do. But I don't think that they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're a multinational, multi-billion-dollar corporation. Like they're doing it. My guess is for the the PR for the optics. Like, oh, we had to cancel this service because there was a problem. But don't worry about it. We gave everybody their money back. We're we're good guys. Buy our next thing. Okay, so according to this, I'm going to drop yet another link. So this guy has six thousand hours in Red Dead Redemption Two. Through Stadia. And he's set to lose it all unless Rockstar announces some sort of uh, uh, transition of uh, play accounts. Yeah. I mean, damn, right? Yep. I mean, I, I'm impressed, That's- but also horrified at that number, right? Because there's no, you know, just like leaving the game on with Stadia. Yo, that's active playtime. There's no, you know, Oops, I, I left it on overnight. Well, there's an extra 12 hours, right? Yeah. So I did uh, leave a, a, a Stadia DB uh, in uh, the show notes. So this is looking at the prices on Stadia. Uh, their current price and their uh, lowest recorded price. Because I was kind of curious, just, you know, how much was it to actually get games on Stadia? And it's not as horrible as I always thought it was, but at the same time, it's not great either. And I think this was also a contributing factor outside of you know, Google being Google. So, like, Celeste just out uh, random, I just flipping through the pages. All-time low was 10 bucks, which is the same price that you would get it on, like, Steam. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you actually own a license on Steam. You're not, you know, hoping that they keep it, keep the service alive, right? Yeah. That, that's kind of the thing, is that if Stadia was a cheap option to play some of these games and take sort of the Game Pass model of a, a cheap option to try games that you otherwise wouldn't, then I think they would have seen a lot more success, but 
these are essentially the same prices that I bet if I look at uh, all time lows on Steam, it's going to be the same. You know? Yeah. And it's just kind of mind blowing that Google never tried to negotiate any lower deals, you know? But, yep. Right? Not that we know of, anyways. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, hell, Google did some weird shit on business. So they actually bypassed a exclusive Death Stranding follow-up game from Kojima, right? Yep. But I don't, I don't know what else to say about Sandy. It's got so many news, news articles, but it's all stuff that we were mm-hmm. like, yep, we expected that. Yeah, we expected I mean, it, this. It's, it's kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff I find most fascinating. So, how... Uh, according to this article of talking about uh, them passing up the follow-up, yeah. Um, according to this person's source, they said that single-player nature of the game led Google to cancel Stadia's collaboration with Kojima, with the company believing that there is no longer a market for single-player experiences. What? Yeah, right? what? Reporting, uh, reportedly, the game had gotten initial approval from Google and had begun the early stages of development. However, shortly after the first mockups were shown in mid-2020... Google scrapped the project entirely. And uh, supposedly, the I think there's only like one or two actually exclusive games on Stadia that's like scrambling now. And mind you, people found out about this as the rest of the world did. So people that were... Yeah, the, the actively, devs, that is. Yeah, yeah, actively working on it. Hell, they were in the middle of a brand new UI rollout on Stadia. And they were talking about their plans... Uh, for fa- uh, for the next phase of the uh, the uh, updated UI, and then the announcement comes down. I mean, that's just cold. Yep, very shitty. But that's we don't you know Google mm-hmm. Hydra Soulless Mega yeah. Corporation. Yeah, makes sense even though it's shitty. I mean, supposedly they were called in uh, to a meeting just a couple, an hour or two before uh, the big announcement. Yep. Which I I know why they did it. They didn't want the uh, the news to leak out and tank their stocks before they tank their stocks, right? Yep. And the uh kind of the other thing that I really wanted to talk about was the controllers. So unless they push an update, um all those controllers that they pushed out extremely cheaply are going to be e-waste. I want one. Now that I've got a new UIA <laughs> and some other stuff, I want one just cuz like why not? You know, why you're not? Gonna have, you're gonna have a uh, a museum to uh, bad ideas, aren't you? I'm I'm okay with that. But yeah, who knows? Well, well, well you need one from uh, on live as well. One thing at a time. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, okay. Well, supposedly the controllers can be worked uh, uh, wire, uh, as a wired controller. But the thing is that you know uh, the functionality is there if they push an update to them. But this is also Google and a mega corporation, and why should they care about goodwill at this point? They gave out refunds. That's enough, right? Yep. Although I could see them going either way, but not because Google did it, but because, okay, so Google is quote-unquote famous for, among other things, the fact that they give or encourage 
all of their employees to work on something of their like some project of their own for X percentage of time. I wonder if a dev or a few devs will say, "Okay, let's let's do an update and push it out." Assuming, of course, they get would be allowed to, right? Yeah, because that's the other thing is there could be something uh, in the patents that they don't want to push out an update, right? Yeah, that's true. So yeah, Google Google Stadia. Yeah. She's dead. I remember them talking about all the features Stadia was supposed to have that I'd never heard them post about any of them uh, after launch. Yeah, uh, they so, never materialized. Uh, yeah, some of like the play states and challenge modes and sort of thing. You remember those? I remember them announcing them. Yeah, or, or talking about them uh, coming soon to Stadia. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was basically like a rewind feature for all their games. Um, having uh, be able to save essentially the play state and be able to send that, uh, share that as a challenge to a friend, which is interesting. But yeah, a Kinda, neat use of save states. Yeah, yeah, but it has to actually exist, right, to be worth a half a damn. It's a yeah. neat idea, but, you know, you need to make it work. But, yeah. Turns out, it didn't. Speaking of things that just don't work. Yeah, so Ubisoft thinks you should pay $120 for Far Cry 6 Game of the Year edition, even though it didn't win a Game of the Year award. So, this is a, probably, a quicker one. Um, to To be clear up front, like, we understand the concept of Game of the Year editions. Like, we know that game publishers have done this a number of times but the thing is is that the game of the year edition air quotes of the game that releases is usually a couple three years after the fact it's got all of the dlc and everything included and it's the same price as the normal game or cheaper not this is twice as expensive with other shit just bolted onto it so they have essentially all the dlc uh for far cry 6 but then they have Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon for whatever reason, right? Yeah. And it's just weird. It's essentially a bundle of all the DLC for the same price. And just, why? Why are you doing this? See, the question you should ask is, why not? And then answer that question with, money. <laughs> why are you doing this? Money. Or actually, why not do it? There's money. Yeah, but you're also getting a, a decade-old game, so there is that, right? Sure. It, this is it feels like more of a point-and-laugh topic than anything else, because I'm not sure what we could talk about outside of just why. Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? And some of the DLC isn't even out yet. Oh, what is? I, I'm seeing what the DLC that uh, this was also supposed to be the one that uh, they had uh, all the uh, villains from their previous games come back, right? Uh, yes. I believe so. Yeah, there's no more information about what that uh, other DLC is outside of just, you know, that's another expansion coming out. I mean, honestly, them talking about uh, bringing all the old villains back just tells me Everything I need to know about this game is that the villain isn't uh, is interesting enough to actually warrant its own place. You have to bring the others back as well, right? Yeah, 
bringing uh, someone back for yeah you know, okay, and it wasn't even the main villain for Far Cry Three. It was Voss, which is not the main villain. He's the one everybody remembers because he was marketed, right? Yeah, but that, but that's beside the point. Outside of having you know like a cameo or you know uh, or doing something, playing on nostalgia for uh, something like this just tells me that the game is bland. And uh, from everything that I've seen, it is. I mean, it is Far Cry. So there is that. Uh, do we um, really have anything else to talk about here? I don't think so. I don't think so. I was about I, to I, say, do we have anything else to talk about? Because I'm, I don't think so. I think this was kind of just a point of life topic. Yeah. Okay. Our next topic, uh, Overwatch 2 was a dumpster fire. Oh, boy. So... So in case you've you've missed it or have need a refresher, Overwatch 2 is embracing free-to-play season pass bullshit entirely wholly. And so even if you have played the first Overwatch and have all of the heroes and everything unlocked already, you can't get them without playing a bunch of matches or spending oh, no, money, no, 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 correct? No, no, uh, no, the if you're a new player you can't get the old uh, 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 heroes without spending money. If you are a, uh, if you're an old player, you do have the heroes, but you don't have their uh, good skins, and you have to play for years. And no, I'm not joking. Uh, the uh, to earn one legendary skin, according to this player, uh, which uh, we're uh, uh, going to use their uh, math on. Um, trying to find the numbers on here. So, if you want to obtain a legendary skin, not a legendary bundle, uh, but just a single skin, just by playing, you need to spend over eight months, thirty-one weeks of grinding the weekly challenges. A uh, a legendary skin costs one thousand nine hundred Overwatch two coins. Which, really, Overwatch two coins. <laughs> <laughs> Completing the weekly challenge nets you a match, a maximum of sixty coins per week. So, barring any special events or and premium uh, paid battle pass tiers, because uh, the battle pass is just gnarly on this game. It does even uh, typically the paid battle passes. If you play them enough, they'll uh, give you enough of the premium currency that it pays for itself. Not this time, fuckers. Right? <laughs> yes. Not this time, fucko. Uh, it takes 31, uh, 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 rounding to 32 weeks to get one premium skin. And all those uh, premium skins and everything that you got in uh, original Overwatch that is, oh, by the way, is completely offline now because they replaced it with Overwatch 2. Yes. Is gone. As far as I've heard, there's been no transfer over. Oh, and um, if you uh, played the original game and you uh, didn't have a phone, uh, you couldn't play at least for a while. They've pulled back on that, claiming uh, uh, to try to, you know, tamp down on people trying to buy in, or you know, uh, play again uh, after getting banned. But really, do you not have phones? <laughs> do you not have phones? Yes. And, and, and the other thing is that 
you had to have a contract phone as well. Any of the prepaid uh, like cricket phones were not eligible for their uh, verification services. Their two-party system. It's just oh, oh, and they got DDoSed several times on launch. So right, miss that. I miss that. Yeah. Oh, of course they got DDoSed. I mean, all right. Yeah, they pissed off people. They did that, and indeed. if you and if you were not a player of Overwatch One, and you weren't, if, if after seeing everything that happens, wanted to play, well, guess what? You have to play about a hundred matches in order to unlock the original heroes. Because right? Because fuck you. That's why. So, da, 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 trying to find. So. Are you looking for the last article, or uh, no, 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 I'm looking through to see exactly. Uh, so, the uh, first-time user experiences, sorry, first-time user experience will also see players rapidly unlock game modes and uh, ability to chat in-game. So you don't even get the ability to chat for, uh, to begin with, because of course, right? Honestly, I'm okay with that. Be a baby, you can't mm-hmm. chat until you played enough. Uh, it has been designed to introduce newcomers to the game as uh, many characters, systems, and modes in an approachable way without disadvantaging those who have never played all, uh, already. Uh, Blizzard's suggestion that it's get, uh, the, this getting content will actually benefit veteran players as it will stop newbies from being matched with experienced teammates and cut down uh, on the ease in which cheaters can uh, simply create new accounts. Uh, the uh, first-time user experience was designed to make Overwatch 2 a welcoming and approachable uh, and fun game pl- uh, to, for, for everyone to play. This experience only affects accounts made on or after October 1st, or sorry, October 4th release date. Anyone who played prior, including the, as a welcome, uh, uh, as a Watchpoint pack owner, will not have to play through the first-time user experience. Mind you, to get to the competitive mode, you have to play 50 quit play wins. 50 matches, right? And yes. That, that's absurd. I could see uh, not wanting to have ranked play immediately, but 50 wins? This is so, this is something on, and this is a, a tiny tangent, but it's related. On this previous week's Podquisition, which is the Jimquisition uh-huh. podcast, uh, they were talking about um, Shadow of War, how that the game was designed in such a way, or is it Shadow of Whatever the sequel one was. Yeah. Was Shadow uh, of War. Yeah, they had to actually rebalance it when they. Had to completely out- rebalance the game when they took out micro, you know, so many microtransactions. Um, because the game was designed around that grind. And that's what this is. The game is designed around you grinding and making you not want to grind. So you buy more things. That's all it is. And so it okay, makes so, sense from that perspective. Like, fuck them. But it does make sense from that perspective. So I'm going to compare Overwatch's system to Splatoon. Uh, just because I can. Because I'm actually playing a shooter. So why the fuck not? To be fair, Splatoon is a paid uh, game. You uh, buy into it. But it also gates off uh, the competitive side to level 10. 
Level 10 takes a couple hours to get to. And that's if you're, uh, you know, not really trying uh, to be able to access the gear vendors. You have to be level 4, which is, like, three matches. Yeah. Maybe two if you win one of them. That's, uh, you know, how you do it if you're trying to not overwhelm somebody and just unlock things one at a time. Yeah. Tiny amount of level gating to prove a person's familiarity with the game, and then you you turn them loose. Or maybe there's some other restrictions, but smaller, less obtrusive, not pushing you towards microtransactions, but just giving and you not breathing 50 space. fucking wins. That's the other yeah. thing. I mean, like I said, that's absurd. I mean, hell, 50 wins uh, in Splatoon, that's uh, like two-thirds of the battle pass uh, done, which uh, Splatoon technically has one. It has a catalog in it that you level up by doing literally anything, including the single player. Yeah. But it also doesn't have a paid tier. It's just, okay, here's a, re- here's a reward for playing. It's not, so- you know... Uh, there was a uh, a graphic on... Uh, I saw the uh, a link to the Overwatch uh, uh, subreddit. And somebody did uh, a Photoshop of all the free tier of, uh, uh, of their Battle Pass put together. It was like 12 items. <laughs> and I'm willing to bet that Battle Pass has more than 12 uh, levels. Probably. Let's see. Ooh, uh... uh <laughs> Overwatch uh, 2 Battle Pass pricing, rewards, and more. Let's see. Uh, the paid version... Uh, and, this, and this is another thing. is you know, They do the Overwatch coins, which, is, of course, never translates one-to-one to the price of everything. So, right? Nope. Once you have to have a weird random number so that you'll buy more. Mm-hmm. The only time I actually don't mind it has a weird random number is when you could trade the premium currency to other players. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, uh, Warframe actually does that. Or at least did that. I haven't played Warframe in ages. Where, Same. Uh, if you ha- uh, have the premium currency, you could trade it to other players as part of a trade. So, you know, you could buy stuff and get the premium currency by you know, just playing the game and farming. Uh, but, yeah. D- 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 so... 1,000 coins is worth uh, 10 bucks, essentially. With bonus coins on the more expensive tiers. Um, There are... There's 11 weekly challenges in the Premium Battle Pass. With 540 possible uh, coins per season. uh, Which is the only way to acquire the currency for uh, free. Sarcasm quotes. How much is the... Uh, I'm trying to find how much the actual cost of the battle pass is. I'm going to guess either five or ten bucks a month. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's ten bucks. Sorry, I I overlooked it. So, yeah, the battle pass costs a thousand coins, which is ten bucks. Uh, So, ten bucks for, what did I say, eleven weeks of uh, content? Yeah. Uh, That's a short battle pass. Most of these battle passes are, you know, usually, you know, three or four months. Yeah, I think 20 weeks is what I remember for at one point what Fortnite's was. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is now, and I really don't care. 
Uh, and uh, the paid battle pa- pa- pass has 80 tiers. Because of course, right? Gotta put you on the loot treadmill for all that good, good grinding. Uh, yeah. Oh, and it also unlocks a hero immediately instead of uh, level 55 on the uh, uh, free tier. Yeah. Because, right? Yep. Oh, it's just, it seems so predatory. Logical conclusion, though, from Overwatch 1 when they started pushing their loot boxes really heavily and everyone was like, oh, no, it'll be fine. Nope, (laughs) it's not fine. All right, we've got one more news topic. Let's speed through this. I'm standing again to to make sure I don't fall, start falling asleep. Or, or you'll really fall asleep. So FIFA 23 slammed by PC players as EA's own anti-cheat makes it unplayable for many. So essentially their kernel level anti-cheat is competing and conflicting with their other anti-cheat from other games. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Well done. Two thumbs up. You did it. Oh. Anti-cheat and anti, you know, piracy measures in games, of course, as we all know, just makes the game worse for the paying players. Pointless. They're they're cracked, but almost immediately and well let's, you know. well, let's put it this way. The real reason that uh, they're so hardcore on the anti-cheat in this is so people can't use uh, uh, memory modification to get more of those uh, you know, card packs. Yeah. And you know what? Build a better game. Don't build another casino. Build a better game. They're they don't want to do uh, that. They're going to build a bigger and better casino. It's It's more difficult and it makes you less money than a casino that exploits people. But... Just build a fucking better game. Although I do love the snark that this uh, review quotes from a uh, another uh, uh, from a Steam review. FIFA 23 is not a sports game. It's a simulator. A simulator for troubleshooting why games won't launch. <laughs> that checks out. Uh, and another one, or I guess the anti-cheat is working because if you can't play the game, you can't cheat. Not wrong. I mean, this isn't the most egregious anti-cheat issue I've seen because, you know, Secure ROM did some nasty shit back in the day. Yeah, Denuvo. Oh, early versions of that was horrendous. And I'm not sure how bad it is these days. I still try to avoid it when I can. Although I'm sure that, you know, it's buried in some game I've downloaded uh, anyway because, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is another case of, you know, just not testing it. You would think that they would test against their own anti-cheat shit, huh? Yep. But my assumption is either they didn't care or they just assumed it would work. Yeah. Or the other option is there's some pure QA tester that was desperately uh, submitting some reports. And they just They said, fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck that guy in particular. (laughs) So, don't uh, don't buy anything that EA makes. Pretty don't much buy anything right. Ubisoft, EA, or Activision make. Just stay away from all of it. I mean, only time I play an EA game these days is through Game Pass, which I realize they're getting money on that still. But yeah, right. 
Yeah. They've, they've already gotten the deal. If if you must play a Ubisoft, Activision, or EA game and you don't have Game Pass, mm-hmm. pirate it. Steal in my name. If you get caught by the police, tell them I told you to steal. Yeah, because I'll let you off the hook. Yep. Tell them to go fuck uh, it, themselves. It, it, it's the Republican strategy. <laughs> they they did a much bigger and better crime. Very true. But yeah, tell them to go fuck themselves. Tell them that I said to steal. It won't really do anything to help you, unfortunately, but still, tell them. It'll make me feel good. Steal everything that isn't nailed down. It's my philosophy. <laughs> and if stuff is nailed down, go steal hammers and then pull the nails up. Woo. All right. What does it for our topics this week? And consequently for the show, Rage, we didn't have any uh, community st- Stuff. Well, technically, we did with the uh, stadia. People were uh, right. you know, dancing on that grave. Right. So, how can people do that? How can people get well, in touch with us? Or by the Discord. There's a link to that over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. You could email us vglpodcast at gmail.com or you could tweet us vglpodcast on the Twitter. Indeed. And, uh, Hey, Rage, why don't you hit him with them socials of yours? Oh, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me occasionally tweeting over at GamingRCR. And if you wish to be my friend on Steam, you do so. Caffeine Rage on Steam. Uh, as in, Caffeine Rage on Steam, not Caffeine Rage on Steam. It's Caffeine Rage. That's my Steam name. Correct. You did it. Uh, I have been Jared. You can, you can find me here. You can find me on our Discord. You can find me on Twitter at JMA4707. While we were recording, I, I tweeted the, the Squid Kid song, uh, a couple bar- bars of it, and Kyle liked it, so thanks, Kyle. Um, but yeah, you can see me tweeting about random stuff sometimes. Uh, also, when we actually do it, you can see me on uh, playing tabletop stuff over on twitch.tv slash runic arts. Um, I'm running a Vampire the Masquerade campaign for them. Uh, there are several uh, aspiring streamers and burgeoning content creators. And I'm like, oh, you all are so young. So young and full of hope. But whenever we play, I enjoy it. Typically that happens on Wednesday nights. Um, I We played last week. I don't know if we're playing this week or not. So. But Wednesday night, you can check it out, see if we actually do play. Um, Yeah, that's me. That's where you can find me and all the things. I was uh, tweeting you a uh, uh, an actual squid song. OK, thank you. I will I will see it and or listen to it. Later. Uh, I'm pretty sure. You, uh, I think I've sent this one to you already, but but yeah, you know, I had to send you Anarchy Rainbow. Thank you. So, um. Uh, going back to what I actually should be doing, scrolling back up to the top. Uh, once again, you could contact us, vjallpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics. You can tweet them to us, vjallpodcast, on the Twitter. We drop by our Discord, which I linked to that, and all our other stuff is on vjallpodcast.podbean.com. And if you wish to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash Podcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kim McLeod. You can find his work over at incomputech.com. 
And as always, as this lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See ya. Bye bye. <laughs>